Amen. Amen. Praise the Father. Praise the Son. Praise the Holy Spirit. Three and one this day, this Lord's Day, we believers in the Lord Jesus Christ gather with our brothers and sisters around the world to proclaim the excellent name of Jesus Christ, to lift up worship songs and prayers to him because his kingdom has come and he's establishing his love, his mercy, and his reign in the hearts of babies, children, men, and women. And that is why we celebrate this day. My name is Timothy, and I have a word for you this morning. But before we go before God, as we open up and prepare our hearts to hear what he has for us this morning, let us pray. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would come in this place. Lord, we sense your spirit, your Holy Spirit here doing a work in our midst. So Lord, we simply lift up our hearts and say thank you. Thank you for listening to us, for, for hearing our prayers, for knowing our cares and our worries and anxieties. Lord, you desire to know us intimately, and indeed, you do know us intimately. Help us to be comforted by the fact that we are not alone, but we worship a Savior, a risen Savior who is with us, even in this place, a Savior who desires to have an encounter with us. So Holy Spirit, would you come? We welcome you. Would you silence those things that would distract us from hearing from you? Lord, would you start to renew our hearts and restore the broken places that we find in our souls? May you prepare us for the good work that you have in store for us. For we know that we are your workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good work. Lord, we are excited for the work that you're doing here the work that you're doing in our homes, in our community, and in the world, Lord. We serve a powerful Savior. And it is in that Savior's name, the name of Jesus Christ, we pray this morning. And God's people say, amen. You may be seated. Good morning, everyone. If you're home joining us online, I want to say good morning to you too. And I want to say good morning to the 4,000 men and women who hear the stream, who watch us every Sunday as we stream to the jails in Palm Beach County. We are so excited that you get to join us, even if it's just on a screen. We believe that God has a plan for your life, and we are just so excited that you get to open up God's word with us this morning. Well, we are in week two of a sermon series entitled Encounters with Jesus. We all need an encounter with Jesus. Life is tough. It's, it's hard. It's difficult. We all face turbulent circumstances. But it is good news for us to be reminded that we have a hope, a hope in a risen Savior. Katie uh, Patterson wrote a book called Crucial Conversations. And in that book, Carrie puts, uh, puts forth a premise a premise that says that success in life is found in relationships. 
Now, that's not like earth-shattering or, you know, eye-opening, eye-opening revelation. But the reality is that many times the relationships pivot on one crucial conversation. You know how it is. Like we're going through something and, and, and something comes to a head and we know we need to talk to this person about this thing because this thing can't continue going. It's affecting me. It's affecting them. It's affecting us. And so I have to have a conversation with this person. It's a crucial conversation. Now many of us run from those types of circumstances, right? We don't like awkward conversations, but some of us, we love having them. Right? But regardless of how you view these conversations, the matter of fact is that these conversations are pivotal as we move forward in the relationship. And, and so crucial conversations are essential in that if, we, if it's handled well and we talk through that difficult subject well, the relationship actually strengthens and we start to thrive in those relationships. And I'm better for it. They're better for it. We're better for it. And so we experience a breakthrough. That's what he sets out in his book to show us how to do that. But when things don't go well, we see breakdown of relationships. I'm worse for it. They're worse for it. And we're worse for it. And so we as Christians, followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, need wisdom as we engage such relationships. Because the Bible is about people. Jesus is about people. And therefore, that's why we thought it wise as we move forward from Easter to talk about five crucial conversations. Five encounters that Jesus had with his disciples after the resurrection. Now, historians and scholars don't argue anymore if there was, a, in fact, a man named Jesus of Nazareth who lived, right? That's a settled issue. But what's in contention, what's up for debate, is in fact that he really resurrected or not. And so when we look at the Bible, first century believers, we just assume, oh, they'll, they're superstitious or... They'll believe anything, and, and therefore it makes sense if they understood and embraced a bodily resurrection. But we're, we're 21st century people. We're people of science, of understanding. We just know bodily resurrections. They, that's not a thing. That doesn't happen. That's something for first century people, non-scientific, simple-minded people to believe. Well, the reality is this the opposite. If you take time to read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you don't find men and women who are easily believing the resurrection. That is not the account. The fact is, they don't believe it. That is why, immediately after Jesus is placed in the tomb, they're running for their lives. They're full of fear and desperation because they think they're next. The last thing on their mind was that Jesus is out walking around. That was until they had an encounter with him. An encounter, encounter that radically trans 
transformed their lives. And Jesus still desires to have such encounters with you and me. And so as we open up our hearts, as we continue this sermon series, Encounters with Jesus, it is these types of crucial conversations, these encounters that we need. We need to encounter the risen Jesus. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask that you open up to Luke chapter 24. We're going to be reading verses 13 through 35. Hear now the word of God. Now that very day, two of them, that is two disciples, two followers of Jesus, were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing Jesus. And Jesus said to them, What is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. And one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, which is Jesus, even though they did not, they didn't know it was Jesus. Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem? who does not know the things that have happened there these days? And he said to them, this is Jesus, what things? What happened in Jerusalem? Tell me about it. Fill me me in. And they said to him, concerning Jesus Christ, the man who, who was a prophet, he was mighty in deed and in word before God and all people. And how, and how our chief priests and the rulers, they delivered him up to be condemned to death. And they killed him. They, they crucified him. But we were sad because we hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides, besides all this, now, the third day, since these things have happened, moreover, some, some women in our, our company, our, our friends, they amazed us. They shocked us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and and when they did not find his body, they came back saying they even seen a vision of angels. A group of angels who who said that he was alive. Some of those, uh, some of who were with us went to the tomb, and they found it just as a woman had said, but him, Jesus, they did not see. And Jesus said to them, O foolish ones, slow to heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them in all the scriptures the thing concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. Jesus acted as if he was going further, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is towards evening, and the day is now far spent. So Jesus went in to stay with them. And when he was at table with them, he took bread, 
and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened the scriptures? And they, ro uh, they rose that same hour and returned all the way back, seven miles back to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And then they told what had happened on the road, how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. The word of the Lord. We all need a similar encounter with Jesus. My prayer is that this morning, that you would not leave this place. That you would not turn off your phone if you're streaming online. Unless you have a similar encounter. Now, now, why do we need this type of encounter with Jesus? Because we need hope. We need understanding. But most of all, we need him. And when we encounter the risen Jesus, we receive a renewed hope for our dashed expectations. You see, hope is essential for life. It's essential for a healthy life. Hope is not a luxury. Hope is a necessity because hope is, is the expectation that no matter how bad things are now, things will get better. What happens to us when we have no hope? We feel stuck. We feel enslaved, imprisoned, we feel like, what use is it for me to get up this morning? Because this morning is going to be just like it was yesterday. But we cannot be shackled with despair. We must step forward in confidence. So where do we find a renewed hope when we face our dashed expectations? We find it on a dirty, dark road to Emmaus. We see two of Jesus' disciples leaving Jerusalem, making the trek back from the holy city, back to their home in Emmaus. Seven-hour journey. Now, the passage says that one of the disciples' names was Cleopas. And by just piecing the story, the narrative of the story together, we know the other disciple is a woman named Mary, Cleopas' wife. If you look at John 19, verse 25, we see this Mary. And I know there's lots of Marys running around during this narrative, right? Lots of Marys. But Mary was one of, Cleopas' wife, was one of the women who were eyewitnesses at the foot of the cross when Jesus was nailed there. John says, Mary, um, Cleopas' wife. So this is a man and a wife, and they're walking back home from the most traumatic week of their life. A roller coaster of experience. What started with great hopes and great expectancy was dash expectations. They, they went into the holy city on what we call Palm Sunday, where Jerusalem swelled to probably four, five, six times its size. Millions of people going into the holy city to celebrate Passover. And what do they see? 
they witness Jesus coming into the holy city on the donkey. And the multitudes are crying out and singing and worshiping. Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I mean, it's like Super Bowl Sunday and your team won. High hopes. And then it gets better. I mean, Jesus gets to work. He goes into the temple. He, he starts righting every wrong. He's flipping tables. He's speaking truth to power. Everyone is taking notice. And then he celebrates Seder meal with his disciples. He says, this is, this is my body. This is my blood. Take and eat of it. Drink of it. This is the new covenant. Wow. What is, what is, what is, what is happening? This, this could be the moment that the Messiah is presenting to the world. We believe it. We've been with him. But now they get to see it. And things finally can change. But then he's betrayed by his, one of his closest friends. He's arrested and falsely accused. He is shackled. He is beaten. He is mocked. He is sentenced to death. And then he is nailed to the cross and placed in a tomb. All in a matter of a few hours. Highs and lows, a roller coaster of emotions, and their hope is being tested. And this is where we find Cleopas and Mary. In their dashed expectations, Jesus was supposed to be the one to free us from the hand of Roman occupation. He was supposed to be the new Moses, who was in a changed society, change our culture, and lead us. To God and cast out our enemy, the Romans. That day, at the foot of the cross, Mary saw hope nailed to a cross and crucified before her. So her and her husband are walking home, seven-mile foot journey in a fog of despair. Now, now Luke tells us. As we read in the English, they discussed what was happening. But if you just do a double click on the, that word in the Greek, it really means a strong, heated debate. As husband and wives are known to do. They're going back and forth. What could this mean? I don't understand this. This did not work out the way that we thought it was. What is happening here? Now, have you been there before? On that road, where your world collapses under the weight of your expectations, it, it, it's like placing bricks on top of a glass table. You start piling up the, your hopes and expectations, and finally the glass table shadow, shatters, and your hopes are in the dirt. Where? Are you placing your hope? Is it in friendship or a business or romantic relationship in your career, in your children? Is your hope in your country? The reality is that our hopes, my hopes, your hopes, have, has an eternal weight to it. Has an eternal weight 
weight to it. And so therefore, nothing temporal, nothing physical can hold it up. Nothing that we can find and this world can bear its weight. The book of Proverbs, chapter 13, 12, says this. Hope deferred makes a heart sick. But a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. You see, every person or thing that we trust in and eventually will fail us. Except the tree of life, Jesus Christ. He alone can bear the full weight of our hope. And so Jesus enters into a crucial conversation with Cleopas and Mary on that road. Because Cleopas and Mary are sick with despair. And in this crucial moment, Jesus steps in and starts walking alongside of them and asks them a simple question. What are you arguing about? That's a weird, weird social dynamic. When's the last time you've been out at the mall and you've seen husband and wife having an easy conversation and you feel the need just to step in and say, hey guys, fill me in. But Jesus does that. He says, what, what, are, you, what are you talking about? And, and notice the text says they literally stop in their tracks. Their jaw drops. Cleopas says, dude, are, are you the only one? In all of Jerusalem that hasn't heard what happened, that doesn't know what's happening. Now, the, did you get the divine irony? He is asking the one person, the only person who knew what was truly happening that weekend in Jerusalem. But Jesus is patient with him. And he says, hmm, what things? Now remember, they, they don't know it's Jesus yet. Their eyes are, are closed to that reality, but Jesus enters into this conversation with them. You see, at that moment, on that road, they thought they saw the, the death of hope, but Jesus was showing them a greater reality. They were just seeing the beginning of all hope. And that is why we need, we need a deeper understanding for our spiritual blindness. Now notice verse 15. Notice the, the patience and grace there. Jesus, Luke tells us, draws near to Cleopas and Mary in their, their despair. And he went with them on this journey. And before Jesus corrects their theology, before he tells, he writes their theological wrongs, before he gives them a deeper understanding, he walks with them and listens to them. Now, I hope that brings you hope this morning. If you're in a moment of despair in your life, if you're in a moment of, of pain, of in darkness, know that Jesus is right there with you, that he cares for you. So go to him with your doubts, with your, with your fears, with your dashed hopes, and know that he's going to pick up the pieces of your life and put them back together. Though your eyes may be kept from seeing the greater reality of what God is doing, trust him that he is leading you home. Now, now why, why is it that they didn't recognize Jesus? 
why is it that, that Jesus, the, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the risen Messiah was just inches, maybe a foot from them, but they didn't know who it was. You know, was it because he looked different? Well, the answer is no. Sure, he had a glorified body, but they would recognize him just moments later. His other disciples, the other accounts of these encounters, everyone recognized it was Jesus. Maybe it was because the road was dark and they couldn't see his face. Perhaps. But I think most likely is that they never expected to see him ever again. Because dead people stay dead. But Cleopas starts engaging with Jesus. And Jesus starts pushing back on his understanding, on his spiritual darkness. Because Jesus, in essence, is telling Cleopas and Mary, they were looking at the redemptive story like looking through a telescope backwards. Have you ever done that? Have you ever had a telescope? You, you know, the, the small end you're supposed to look into, the far end supposed to be on the far side. You look through the small, small side, and through the lens and the design of the lens and, and the way it's set up, you actually see more than you can see with your regular two eyes. But what happens when you flip the telescope? Everything becomes larger? No. It becomes what? Smaller. More obscured. And so their view of Jesus and his work of redemption was not a spiritual redemption. Was not a liberation from their greatest enemy, their greatest oppressor, oppressor, which is both sin and death. They just thought about Romans. And Jesus is now opening their eyes to a greater reality. He's like, my redemption spans across not only Israel, but to the ends of the earth. Don't you know your greatest enemy? It's not what's out there, but what's in here. You're separated from God. But me, through my life and death and resurrection, I'm going to bring you hope because I'm going to bring you back to your Father. I'm going to bring you back to the one that loves you, but the one that you're separated from because of your pain and your fallenness that is a result of your sin. But what do we do with our pain? What is our no normal MO when, when there's something that is irking us, bothering us, something that never goes away? We medicate it with entertainment, with vacations, with alcohol, with drugs. We say, I can't face this, so I'm going so to push it down as far as I can, and I'm going to mask it with as much as I, what I, whatever I can grab my hands on, because this pain is too much for me to deal with. But does that work? The answer is no. We've tried it. We've tried it over and over again. Those methods do not work because God wants us to not mask our pain, but look at it straight in its eyes. C.S. Lewis wrote a beautiful book on this topic called The Problem of Pain. And in it he writes that God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience. But he shouts to us in our pain. Our pain is, is his megaphone to wake up a deaf world. And that's why no matter how much you try to do to medicate your pain to avoid it, it never goes away, but it's screaming at us. 
And God is saying, I want to heal you from that pain. Don't numb it. Don't medicate it. Bring it to Jesus and he'll transform you through it. So starting with Moses and the prophets, Jesus starts opening their eyes and he allows them to have an encounter with his resurrected body. A resurrected body that brings hope. And so he enters their home and breaks bread. And in those moments, what happens? Their eyes are open. It is as if Luke, as he's writing this account for us, is echoing the first meal of the first creation. You know the story from Genesis that, that Eve takes the fruit, eats it, gives it to her husband, with, which is, which, uh, who was with her, and what happens? Their eyes are opened. And what do they see? Happiness, joy, contentment, righteousness. No, you know the story. They see death in the form of shame. They realize for the first time they were naked and so they hid until God comes and asks them a question on the, on the road. Who told you you were naked? And so now Luke in echoing that story that has been passed down from generations and generations, now shows us the first meal of the new creation. This is Jesus' first meal after he resurrected from the dead. And so he's with another husband, another wife, and as they partake of the bread, what happens? Their eyes are opened, but now not to shame, not to misery, not to judgment, not from separation, but now to redemption and hope. In the form of broken bread around that living room table. This reminds me of a story about 10 years ago. I was in church and I was serving the Lord's Supper. And there was a couple there sitting. It was a smaller church. And so you can kind of see everything happening from the stage. And so I see a couple there and they're arguing. A pre pretty unfamiliar sight for a pastor when we're taking the Lord's Supper. Normally everyone's quiet, everyone's somber, but these two people are going at it. It, it was a, a Catholic wife and her, her Jewish husband who for months had been fellowshipping with us. I mean, it just sounds like the beginning of a corny joke, right? A Catholic wife and her Jewish husband walk into a Presbyterian church, but that's what happened because someone just invited them. And though they had no idea what was happening, because all of this was different to them, something kept them coming back. And week in and week out, they started making friendships and connections. I started meeting with him for breakfast every like Thursday, after, uh, Thursday morning. And I slowly just started t telling him about the gospel of Jesus. I listened to his story. I, I answered his questions as best as I could. I prayed for and prayed with him. And in that moment, now fast forward, when I'm serving the Lord's Supper on stage, you know, you know why they're arguing? Because he took the bread and took the cup. And his wife said, you can't take that. You're not a follower of Jesus. And she's disciplining her husband while we're all in this somber moment. But he's fighting and she's trying to rip out the cup from his hand. And he's like, no, this is mine. And he's, I became a Christian. My eyes are opened. And I remember him telling me that story and I just started laughing. But laughing because hope came to his life. Jesus came into his life because he had an encounter with the resurrected Jesus. 
And that is what Jesus wants for you. Our sin separates us from God. It brings judgment, the rightful wrath and judgment of God upon our lives. And because we're in rebellion against God, we see the ripple effects of that, which is pain, shame, depression, anxiety, worry. These are all ripple effects because we are separated from our God who's the source of life. And we know that even though we try, no, none of, no amount of good works that we can perform can put us back into a right relationship with the God who created us. Our good works, even our best works, simply don't work. But God, who's rich in love and mercy, meets us on the road of despair through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And by Jesus Christ's perfect record, Jesus never sinned. But he gives us his perfect righteousness to us, to clothe us, to forgive us, to restore us. But not only that, it was on that cross that Mary saw with her own eyes Jesus paying the penalty of our sin, which is death, as a stark proclamation of what separation from God the Father looks like. And Jesus on that cross put upon himself the sin of this world, the Father that is, took our sin, placed it upon Jesus and punished Jesus instead of us. And in this selfless act of sacrifice, Jesus shows us a true, what true love is, that he would give his life for us. That through his resurrection, we can have hope. We can press forward in confidence, knowing that he has turned our despair into delight. The passage says and ends with them saying to each other as Jesus vanished in that room, Cleopas looked to his wife and says, was your heart burning too? When he opened up the scripture and see, they said, yeah. Like God was doing something new in my heart. He was transforming me. He was giving me his spirit. He was giving me strength. He was giving me hope. And that is the hope that is offered to you this morning in the name of Jesus Christ. And as they went that day, that very night, back to Jerusalem, a seven-mile track, back to meet with the disciples, they were witnesses to the resurrected, the bodily resurrection of Jesus. And they're a witness for us even this morning. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for giving us hope. Thank you for giving us new spiritual vision and eyesight. Lord, we confess our sins to you knowing that in many ways, Lord, we have broken your law. We have lived the exact opposite of what you have called us to live. And for that, we're sorry. So Lord, we place our faith in Jesus, knowing that it is in him that we have hope for new life. So Jesus, we give our hearts to you you gave your life for us and it is in your name we pray amen please stand with me and let us worship the risen king